0: You're listening to Two Beers Until Phrenesis, a philosophy podcast for students, graduates and anyone else interested in ideas. Alongside regular guests and friends, we discuss some of life's big questions over a few beers. Enjoy. Okay, yeah, so we're still in lockdown, coronavirus. How are you guys holding up with everything? You guys doing alright?
1: I suppose very bored
0: has it actually affected your lives in any way
1: well i'm working from home stuck in the same four walls it's pretty bad Other like going out in terms of like going to the shops and stuff that's pretty much hasn't changed but my day-to-day routine's pretty sedentary otherwise
0: you say it's like an overall it's a negative experience
1: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely it's kind of fun because you can stay home and you don't have an excuse to go and do anything so you can just watch TV and play games. That gets boring pretty quick.
2: I'm living with my parents, so I'd do anything to go out at the moment <laughs> before I actually get arrested for murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: My experience is relatively positive. That may sound kind of... I don't know, that might not sit right with some people. And I, you know, I understand why, but I like to think at the very least I'm making the best of the situation. It's obviously not ideal. I've got a question for you. Go on.
2: Are you being productive?
0: Yes. This is something I wanted to talk about. Okay. Uh, So I've been podcasting, uh, working on the garden, doing gardening. Mm. Obviously, like talking with family and friends, housework, learning a couple of new bits and pieces, but also relaxing. And I think there's a difference between not doing anything and not working. You no, know, I, th- I think there's a fi- there's a fine line between those kind of things. Speaking to somebody the other day, and he, he was saying how we essentially live in a culture where we kind of exchange these prescriptive, moralistic statements about like how busy we're all being, like shaming people. Yeah, who, yeah. who aren't busy enough.
2: People are baking. I'm seeing like so many loaves of bread online, <laughs> and like people have started knitting. Learning new languages, yeah, and I'm just like, I can't be asked.
0: baking's a weird one because, like, especially yeah. like making bread, yeah. People often say that's like, oh, it's it's like I'm doing such a an earthy thing. I'm going back to the, the roots of humanity. I'm,
1: yeah, legit. You know, it,
0: it, it, but it's the most middle class thing you can fucking do. Yeah, so oh.
1: there's like very little value. It might be quite therapeutic. but It's pointless. It's pointless. You can buy bread for literally like one p and it tastes fucking great you don't need to like spend hours making it yourself
0: it's like making your own crisps right just buy crisps yeah (laughs) yeah no no i I get it and like the the smells nice and everything but it's it's a it's a novelty it is definitely a novelty
2: i saw a i saw a tweet that was middle class lockdown bingo and it's banana bread growing tomatoes yes uh, drinks on zoom yeah uh, videoing your street clapping, doing Joe Wicks PE, ordering yeah. from independent shops. I've seen a lot of ordering from independent shops. And people are like, oh, support your local. I think that's a good thing. Crafts. Yeah. Uh, meditation and tea. And I've seen, yeah. seen all of that.
0: Yeah. bit of yoga going on here. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I'm drinking a couple of nights of the week and going <laughs> on Discord. So I guess,
2: guess I'm doing quite a bit eh?
0: bit of baking. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. This whole thing about like, this idea that spending time with family and friends and resting is like unproductive, which I don't think it necessarily is unproductive. I think that's the wrong word, but it's certainly not immoral. It's just this, this weird moral language surrounding the yeah. yeah. whole idea of resting. As if resting is like an evil thing to do.
2: You waste of space. A yeah, <laughs> it's
0: really strange. And it's it's a, it's like a massive cultural difference between different cultures. I guess there are places in the world that that value rest a lot more than we do. I think there are Eastern countries that don't. I guess somewhere in like China, um, where it's arguably more commercial in the city centres at least. Obviously, there's this massive like dichotomy between paddy rice fields and shit, and actually, and shit. Yeah, like it's it's literally medieval out there. You know, they can they can (laughs) rest. (laughs) But in the city centres, I think that there is probably more of a push towards productivity than we have. But I think we're still in this weird mindset, especially when it comes to things like celebrities and stuff. That I think my mate was saying how celebrities are always seen to be busy. And I think that's true. But yeah, I, just, I don't see the problem with like enjoying the moment and living in the present. Even if it just consists of having a cup of tea or just disappearing into the escapism of like video games and cinema in between certain tasks, you know, it's just not helpful to think of it as wasted time. Particularly if if the overall quality of things you are producing are still good. I don't know. The last thing you want is to feel bad for relaxing or spending time with friends. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, largely agree. I think I'm not going to try and bungle the quote because I can't remember it. I think it was a Beatle that said something about time spent doing what you love is not time wasted. Yeah. Could have been John Lennon. (laughs) Sounds like John. But yeah, I, I, you know, I largely agree with that. I think you just got to live for yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I I remember, I think this is be the third time I've mentioned this, actually. You both might remember this, actually. That old automated economy thought experiment I was going on about. Do Do you remember this?
1: You might have to remind me. Yeah,
0: carry on. Yeah, I was talking about, wouldn't it be not the end of the world if we no longer had to work in the classic sense of the term? Wouldn't it be great if our economy was so automated in the far, far future that our lives largely consisted of more social activities and things? I remember.
2: Would that be great? Have you seen Wally? They're not working. Look at them.
0: Do you know what? I I, I really like Wally, and I like, I like that whole take on on the question. But I don't think people give up on personal growth challenge those kinds of things. I don't know. I was having this conversation with Nye actually the other day. And we were saying that the word work would probably evolve.
2: I can definitely see that happening. But it gets to the point where every job is taken over by whatever. I don't think that would happen.
1: Really? Yeah, I don't I don't ever see a world where there's there's effectively no requirement for humans to keep on going. I think you can get you can get probably well, depends how you define close, but you can certainly automate a large portion of it.
0: Yeah, and I and I think this period will probably do something to increase that demand, that whole push towards automation. Because mm-hmm. in this in this kind of weird period with the coronavirus lockdown, I think the economy can trial a few things to do with automation. I don't know.
1: I think it might certainly highlighting some some kind of weak points. I guess like the, for example, like home delivery mm. is clearly not equipped to deal with this kind of event. The infrastructure is just not there because if you mm. if you have tried to do home delivery, you've probably found that you'd be waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for a slot, and you might not get anything delivered at all.
0: Have you seen those? Have you seen those robot things? They look like right. If anyone's actually listening to this podcast, which is unlikely, <laughs> at this can point so, can somebody tell me what I've seen? Right, it's an ongoing thing. <laughs> what just, if anyone can t- tell me what I've actually seen? This is this in the greens or like?
1: Are you okay, Connor? (laughs)
0: You just need help. I think I'm having a breakdown. (laughs) You on your meds? (laughs) It's this fucking. It's this. You know Star Wars, right? You know the Death Star. Yeah. You know those little mouse droids. Yeah. They whiz around. Are you talking
2: about those things on like estates? Yes. Right. That are delivering mail. Yes. Oh, thank God. You know what it is. Only because you ranted about it the last
0: time I saw you. Fuck. <laughs> maybe, maybe this—the inception of this idea was just in my fucking adult brain. Maybe no one externally told me about this. But they're they're like the little mouse droids from Star Wars, and it's the one that Chewy roars at, and it it rolls away like a little truck. And basically, there's a real life version of it, and it's massive. You can't pick it up because it's so heavy. It's got all these alarms and shit, and they they deliver mail to people. It's like an automated delivery service, but it's only in. Certain isolated areas. I don't know
2: whether it was like on a campus or. I'm I'm seeing something about in Norway a robot will soon be delivering people's mail. And it does look, It looks like a, an expanded mouse droid or whatever they're called. Yeah, you Just you fucking know out. they're called mouse droids, mate. I mean, you, uh, you, you to I obviously want to hide how much of a Star Wars fan I am because it's so unpopular.
0: This. This, this weird thought experiment.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think people
0: would approach things differently to how they do now. I think society would move into a space where certain things that aren't considered work now would be considered work because you're still putting physical effort into certain things. I, you know, so social activities would be seen as the new work. There'd be pressures. There'd be challenges. So I think sports would, would kind of blow up. It's just in the same way that people volunteer now. People volunteer for the tiniest of things. People will volunteer to go and help out at a, a big sporting event just to be close to athletes.
2: Mm. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a day of work, potentially. But I think if it ever got to the point where normal jobs were automated, there would be a market for human
0: interaction. Depends how good the AI is, but, you, but yeah, I think that's certainly true.
2: Like if you go to a pub... Yeah, I was just going to say... You don't want to be served by a robot. Um maybe there's some novelty in that, but I'm sure that at some point Well if it was the norm. Yeah, people will want human interaction.
0: Yeah. Well I, I would want human interaction from a barman, but in that world, I would happily volunteer behind the bar. Instead of being
2: paid.
1: I was just gonna <laughs> ask about how this is gonna work. If you had a one hundred percent automated economy, mm. would you then would that tie into some sort of universal income method where everyone is just given enough
0: We'd all get ration tickets. <laughs> this is just a okay, no,
1: communist no. utopia
2: that you're like. This
1: is literally yeah, no. <laughs> one.
0: No, this is, this is, this is, it's mental bollocks. It's ramblings of a madman, i.e. me. But
1: I pretty, yeah.
0: I'm just saying from the point of view of it wouldn't be boring. And obviously I think there are parallels with what's happening with the coronavirus now. I think some people are c- kind of realizing that challenge and meaning and strife doesn't necessarily have to come from work. I would much prefer social interaction. I'd much prefer to be able to go out. You know, I'm not in an ideal situation myself. I do have family that have been massively affected by the pandemic and I'm not able to go and visit them, which is shit. You know, I'm 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 not fucking loving every minute of this. But what I am saying is that I'm not as bored as I thought I would be. And with a few tweaks, I could see myself living a similar life i don't I, and this is coming from somebody who really really loves his job and half the time you know my my a day of work is is really fulfilling and it's actually the highlight of my day but i am still finding that there's not a gap so long as i actually make the effort and kind of strive towards certain projects and keep on the ball and uh, you know maintain that regular kind of social interaction obviously it's not ideal because we're doing it over discord but you know in this fucking weird future utopia dystopia, however you look at it, um, you know, I, I, I could probably, I could probably do that. I don't think, I don't think a life without work would be boring, but I think our view of work would change.
1: I don't, I don't think it would be anything more than a thought experiment. Obviously, yeah, like there'd have to be quite a significant shift in mentality for a lot of people to adjust to that kind of more relaxed life than a kind of, if you go from like quite a hectic office job to sort of h- having all that kind of energy, but you need to invest in particular projects to kind of keep yeah busy, like you said, like that would take, I think some quite large adjustments for most people.
0: And I think, I think that's the, the redirection of effort that people are struggling with in this current lockdown. Yeah. I think people yeah. are really struggling to switch over and let their hobbies and uh, relationships actually take the fore and actually be something that you need to invest time in I, I think i think people are kind of thinking well what do i do it's like well, you're doing it you just have to maybe be a bit more contemplative and and introspective and really think about what you want from your relationship this is the time now to think of, you know what do i want out of life you know? <laughs> Learn, learn an instrument or something or, or you know I, I appreciate that obviously this is particularly difficult on certain people this is not a holiday this isn't a time to fucking ponder this is this is fucking ground zero for a lot of people but i think for possibly a large majority of people there is opportunity there to actually experience
2: something different it kind of reminds me of that horrible quote um the number one killer of old people is retirement you yeah that yeah and i've i've actually
0: seen that working in in several pubs Mm. i've seen what retirement can do to a lot of old boys that have no direction left it's not nice Mm. that's because mainly they struggle to redirect their attention to another another thing possibly they can't and i don't think i could after after doing one thing for so long i don't know i don't think i could Mm. Should we talk about the this whole wartime parallel thing that everybody seems to be... Everyone's a soldier now, apparently. Mm, yeah, go on then. Well, I, just, I don't know why everyone thinks... Somebody said the other day, this is the Somme.
1: <laughs> that's, just, that's just offensive. Yeah, it's it, it, right. literally
0: offensive. It's offensive. Um, I think it was... I think it was uh, Pitch that was telling me about it. I think it was the military, somebody in the military. What? And... and I think they were in charge of the advising civilians, making these Nightingale hospitals, and they mm. they drew a direct parallel to the song. And I was just thinking, that's that's got to be offensive. If it, no, but no one's alive to take offence at it. <laughs> to say that because you're a bit bored, and I appreciate obviously that. So if you're in actual poverty, and the the loss of the paycheck with the furlough thing, you know, really affected you. That's a different story. If this has affected your lifestyle to the point where it's tipped you over the edge, if you're in social care or the NHS, or if you rely on social care or the NHS, yeah, sure. This, this, I think it's comparable. But to the large majority of people, especially the media and stuff, they seem to be equating a bit of boredom and, oh, I can only go out once a day, with looking up and seeing a fucking Messerschmitt uh, yeah. Bomb, yeah. bomb your house during the Blitz. You know, people in planes trying to actively kill you.
1: Well, the media will do that. Uh, they love to play up any situation, and this is probably the best thing that could have happened to them. I Firmly believe that they're loving every second of this. You know, at, at a company level, maybe not individual people.
0: No, I, I, I and mean, I don't think so at all. I've been watching, I've been watching a bit of uh, Holly and Phil. You know, and I, I, I think they genuine. They genuinely want to comfort people. Um, just, I don't. I think they don't know how to handle because it's such a broad range of experiences for different people. Like I said, I am I like to think I'm coping, even if that is a very pushed, d- direct effort to remain so, and to not think about some of the negatives and to focus on the positives. But I get, you know, other people aren't. And I think the, the BBC and stuff, I think they just kind of think, well, as a blanket rule, let's pretend this is the worst thing to ever happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're hearing about, like, children who have no perfectly healthy children suddenly dying of coronavirus on the news and that is going to happen unfortunately but (laughs) if you look at the overall picture the the fact still remains that the most vulnerable people are going to be the old and the weak as with almost any other disease you could name but we're just getting reports of five-year-old kids dying and a hundred-year-old grandpa miraculously surviving because they're the quote interesting unquote stories at the moment so you're getting kind of both ends of the, of the spectrum or the bell curve, whatever you want to call it. But like the kind of the meat of the matter where the statistics actually tell you the truth is kind of glossed over. And that's probably my biggest gripe. The fact is a lot of people through no fault of their own don't have a, an excellent grasp of statistics. Um, and that's absolutely taken advantage of. So like as an example... I think I heard somewhere that if you are on a ventilator with this COVID-19, your like chance of survival will drop to like 50%. And you could read into that, that ventilators are dangerous. So it just really does depend how you all interpret it.
0: Yeah, I I think there's a responsibility more than ever with news authorities, mainly because it's it's been so indicative of how willing people are to let other narratives drive them. I don't really blame the news or the government or anything over this. I, I think I would from my personal point of view, I think everyone's doing a relatively stalwart job. It's just Boris has jumped and suddenly we're all soldiers fighting invisible Nazis and the home front has appeared out of context back and everyone's digging for Britain.
2: I, I I hear this this rhetoric of war all the time, regardless of coronavirus or not. Yeah. Mostly from my mom going, oh, you'd never survive in the war. And I'm like, well, maybe I would. <laughs> this is a completely different scenario. Yeah. A lot of criticism from uh, the older generation direct to the younger generation is war-related, strangely. Always like, oh, these young'uns wouldn't, you know. Yeah, usually from people
0: that... Weren't ever in the war. <laughs> weren't ever in the war or, would, you know, not even scarcely remember it. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it's. Do people want to be in a war? Is that it? Yeah, it, I think it is. <laughs> I think they do. I think through the veneer of, you know, let's not be too cynical. I think it's to do with like a loss of meaning. I think people want to feel that sense of purpose. On one hand, it's great the government can use evocative imagery and people respond accordingly. But in another way, it's fucking terrifying. People are so desperate for a place. I think it's fine to to talk about the war if you're drawing a few sociological comparisons. It's interesting to see how social media has reacted. For instance, like I've always wondered how, in a Western country, social media would respond to a real crisis. Because obviously, we grew up at the start of social media. Just, it's really weird. Like everyone's rediscovering chainmail. Really? Yeah. You know, people getting those. I'm not on about like armor. I'm on about. No, no. <laughs> yeah, like thing was really popular in the 90s and the 90s. Like everyone's just sending around chainmail it's people are going nuts but i've always wondered like what would people still be taking selfies during an apocalypse and this is probably the closest parallel touch word that we'll actually have of that and it's just really bizarre and and revealing of of things you know, i think i think most people are doing quite well with it but I, st- I still think probably myself included people feel a bit lost and don't know quite how to handle it on like communal i think it's the lack of social contact and people are having to move into a different space and talk over things like Discord or Facebook.
1: Yeah. It's it's the kind of sudden loss of freedom. Cause like a month ago, yeah, probably a month ago, there's no lockdown. You know, I came and visited yukon for example. Went to a really crowded pub. It's just like a completely different world. And when all that gets taken away so fast, I think people are going to react quite differently. I think that's why you're getting a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm still going to go out to the park. It's a nice day. I'm yada yada yada.
0: Yeah. It's great that people react against that with a kind of sense of moral duty, conscientiousness, yep. but I th- I think some people were taking it a bit too far, it's like it's kind of herd mentality going on where, you know, because obviously the media's been using words like enlist, you are now enlisted uh, the, we'll have to fight this invisible enemy, I think that's what's making people fucking crazy, people think they're in a war, and it's 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 not like a war, we have to be more aware of, I don't know more aware of different things than you would be in all this it's a different kind of existential threat it's a threat to lifestyle as well and I, I don't know if it's quite the right tactic I actually I actually really like the Queen's speech where she was like you know you will we'll see each other again' we'll, you know we'll be able to chat with our families again I think that was probably a nicer more hopeful message mm-hmm. than you know fucking that stab the Nazi virus <laughs>
2: read Jean Baudrillard
0: Uh, I'm
2: going to say I haven't so that you can tell me all I haven't well relatively recent French philosopher he's dead now but his his famous thing was that um, the Iraq war did not happen that's like the, the bold statement that's you know obviously a war happened but his argument was how we received the war isn't the war that happened so he's talking about how for the first time it was more a war in the public imagination yeah. than yeah. the reality of the war, if you see what I mean. So, because it's, I suppose, the first big war in America since 24 hour news and the fact that everyone's like plugged into watching the news and receiving what they've been told, then his whole thing was how what we're told collectively we all imagine something that isn't the reality of war similar to his idea of the simulacra exactly so the the fact that like representation overtakes reality yes and i'm pretty sure he was the one who said that as a society like a collective consciousness we need the idea of war we crave it because of its unifying features
0: yeah, I'd agree with that, really. Oh, or at least some sense of
2: conflict, yeah. Some conflict so us with. versus them type of thing. Mm. We always need that. Yeah. When you were talking about how people are blowing out of proportion and how it's unifying and all this kind of thing. That's what just sparked it. I don't know what well, you I think about that.
0: I'm not, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm not really saying that people are blowing out of proportion. I do just want to make clear that I think... I think everyone should obviously follow the government's advice and everybody should do everything they can and take the matter very seriously. But also, I think I'm more interested in how it is affecting people in the home and affecting people's mentality Um, rather than these big, grand narratives, I guess, when when I'm being critical. I guess my criticism's more accurately aimed at people who are struggling needlessly with the idea of being in their own company mm. and in the company of loved ones and, and, and just really just missing work and a second jog. Yeah. Uh, although obviously I, that is not everyone's experience. I, just wanna... I think
2: if we carry on with this, with this set of people rather than the people who literally are, this is the worst sign for them. I think social media has a role to play in the fact that everyone's going crazy because It's just one big echo chamber, like one huge herd mentality type thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't even know that we were doing claps until my parents walked out the front door and started clapping because I'm not tuned into it. I'm like, well, Who told you to start clapping? Like, oh, yeah, Facebook told us. I'm like, What? Facebook told us, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> I guess I'm guessing you two more cynical of the clapping than I am
1: I think um, it's a good like it's a nice gesture i I honestly find it quite cringy um,
0: I, I I think it's a bit hollow having done it i still I, I know what you mean uh, i I don't know I think it the clapping is very strange because it it reveals the best and the worst of humanity like on one side it's like virtue signaling there's there's actually been shaming yeah. people who aren't
2: yeah. Happy. yeah. <laughs> I look at twenty five. They're not
0: coming out. I heard stories about shaming people that, that aren't clapping, and they turn out that they're NHS workers, and they're fucking tired.
1: It's just another thing. Yeah, to get yeah. Your knickers in a twist on.
0: And especially as you said, like social media. Social media can be this massive domino for this kind of thing, and it can really fucking wreck someone's career. Oh, this this cunt wasn't clapping. Oh, he hates. Oh, this cunt hates the NHS. That's the part that I want to be critical of in this podcast. And that's the only thing I want to be critical of. People not being open to different ways of thinking and different experience. That's, and that's my, my only real criticism of what's happening. And I think it's, it's been interesting how this is shown.
1: It's like seeing those things on Facebook. It's like, share if you want your mum to live tonight. it's it's the same principle right there's no real difference apart from maybe a bit of superstition but like
0: yeah well i think i think it it has been uplifting for a lot of people um it's a sense of community It's it's a it's a it's a physical manifestation of collective support right it's it's just an expression it's like waving or whatever it's I, maybe maybe we'll get more used to it. I don't think it's going to really run on long enough for it to be like a cultural institution. <laughs> it's, it's fine just if you view it in its context as an optional kind of supplement to volunteering or staying at home or actually doing something really useful, you know, or like consuming things responsibly, like not buying a toilet roll. These are the things that really matter. This is a supplement to it. But for a lot of people who probably just aren't, I don't want to say are not thinking straight, but, I, you know, <laughs> shaming people for not clapping because they're tired from
2: actually volunteering. That is not thinking straight. Right. I think shaming people for not clapping because they don't want to clap anyway is a problem. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with not yeah. clap. Like, what is clapping actually doing? Well, I wanted to tie in
0: with something. This whole culture of informing, which is getting very fucking deep. Yeah. You know. It's weird. No one's really talking about this, but I think I think it actually. I think being critical in this way actually helps society cope. And I, I think if, if we just had a bit more room to discuss things reasonably, I, I haven't really seen any uh, philosophy really on the subject, other than a bit of like modern stoicism. But I, I just I don't think people are having having real like polite. Reasonable dialogue about coronavirus. I think it's it's been compliance or dissent, and I think there's a, there's a space in the middle where we can actually navigate. And you know, even if it helps us comply, even you know, just read between the lines and think. Well, okay, so what what are the best behaviours and what's the best way to interact with somebody if you've seen them go for a second walk? It's like just just hold the phone and you know. So this this whole culture of informing, I I think to a certain extent we should all be irritated when somebody has house party or something or like a a mass gathering these are obviously wrong things to do but dobbing somebody in for like their second walk just feels it feels overly sinister
1: yeah i agree it's just i guess just where do you draw that line i mean people shouldn't be going for second walks as long as you're adhering to social distancing etc it's probably fine but you know in terms of actually enforcement well that
0: that's yeah, that's the thing to think about. That's why the blanket rule exists. That's why the lockdown has happened. Because social distancing yeah. ad- advice, it wasn't advice. I wish they'd stop calling it advice. Well, instruction. It was it? never advice. Yeah, yeah it was an instruction. <laughs> yeah, but, but people keep calling it government advice. It's not advice.
1: It's also funny how, how many people... Um, so on the on the Monday, I think it was the Monday, where uh, Boris said, okay, like you can't go outside except for these reasons now. People are like, well, he hasn't actually said the word lockdown. Yeah. So it's not, I'm like, what, what, what the fuck do you think this is? But we can't go outside. There's a lot of like, on the news, there are
2: always people asking questions like, well, what about this scenario? Or what about this scenario? And it's a blanket rule. <laughs> like, you're trying to worm their way out of it.
0: Yeah. It, it, I mean, in one sense, so long as you're doing social distancing, it doesn't really matter. But I, it's, it's about this collective willingness to forego freedom it's it's we adhere to these blanket rules because of a kind of harm principle and to be honest it's the only mandate that really counts when it comes to a government enforcing these rules this is this is the only reasonable excuse you can ever have for limiting freedom for when it harms other people so this is just a massive extension of that i find that quite interesting mm,
1: i think it's certainly gonna i'd hope it would make people more appreciative when we return to some semblance of normality. I mean, there's the things that we take for granted, like the fact that at the weekend I can go, get on the train, go and see like you, for example, Connor or go to London and do something, you know, in a crowded pub or elsewhere. It's like, that's just unthinkable at the moment. And it's weird to think that a month or so ago, that was just the norm. Yeah. I think once you get out and people are able to do that again, It's going to be quite odd, but I would hope, at least for a short time, because people's memories tend to be quite short with this sort of thing, um, that we just look at what we actually take for granted every day. Because it's not like, it kind of sucks. Nobody likes the situation. But for most of us, you know, for those of us who uh, don't have a job at the moment, like they're still getting the, what, 80% furlough? Yeah. Which, honestly, that's costing the government a tremendous amount of money or will be when it comes through
0: yeah no i I think for for many people this situation it's not something to lose your mind over in fact this this could potentially be a somewhat useful time for not just individual thinking but for the whole of society yeah i think maybe certain changes will happen because of this period appreciate going out but also appreciate that oh shit well, I don't need to spend my entire life in Costa. (laughs) (laughs) I've got tea bags at home. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I I, I think this is going to have an impact on business and stuff. That The kind of stoic sentiment I've been trying to espouse is like, I think we also have to bear that in mind when it comes to this this imagined day of liberation when all the bunting is going to be fucking hung in the streets and people are going to be having tea parties like it's the Queen's Coronation. And clapping constantly. Yeah but it's that's it's not going to happen it's not going to be like that it's actually going to be you know you you have to prepare for the reality that it it will be a very slow and gradual process like and this will this will kill a lot of local business let's not you know we have to we have to be prepared to support certain businesses pick a business and spend whatever money you have left after this on that business because you're gonna you're gonna need to if you want to see it again the the last recession and Austerity and things have, have been kind of lingering in the background anyway. And I don't think a lot of high streets are going to recover from this. No, there will be drinking. There'll be eating. People are going to obviously celebrate and there's going to be a sense of relief. And I, I hope that people appreciate simple things more. I've actually been doing housework and gardening and shit. Hopefully I'll keep on top of it after lockdown. I fucking won't, but it would be nice if, if somebody did. <laughs> but lots of services just won't come back. We're a tertiary industry anyway. I think some some luxuries are doing well through it. Toilet paper. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a luxury, but like video games. People people are... Yeah, I think that those kind of industries are still going to ride through it. I think a lot of things like microbreweries and comedy clubs and things. Hmm. I think it may it may also be a good thing because I think... I've, always, I've talked about the local before, how I think it's a mixed bag of the local pub, how I think that... In one sense, if lots of pubs are dying, there's probably reasons why they're dying. I think it's a twofold problem. I think people need to start going to the pub more as well. Or, you know, not associating the pub with a kind of stigma. Hopefully it'll weed out some bad restaurants and things. I don't know, but I'm just trying to think positively. Yeah. yeah. Joe, how do you think it will affect the the economy in a
1: broader sense? It's a million dollar question. If I knew that, I'd be extremely rich. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, well, it's already started to affect the economy uh, extremely badly. So it depends how much news you've been looking at. But summarised stock markets have had some of the, the biggest crashes since 2008 and actually since before 2008 of pretty astronomical sizes where people have just, you know, investors have indiscriminately just basically tried to convert everything they have into cash. Because cash is typically quite a safe a safe thing to hold in times like these. So we've seen that happen. We've seen as a result of the kind of all of the businesses having to shut down, pretty much everything's ground to a halt really fast, which we haven't really seen before in recent times. And basically to encourage spending, the Bank of England have dropped interest rates to historic lows. So they're they're the lowest rates that they've ever been in the Bank of England's history, which is causing knock on effects in the housing market for example so you probably if you were looking to buy a house about now probably tough luck most places aren't yeah. continuing with housing transactions at the moment if you're looking to get a mortgage soon again kind of tough luck um because the risk is so high a lot of lenders are now asking for huge deposits to try and mitigate some of that risk and again it's just like the, the practicalities as well like if you wanted to go in buy a house or or move somewhere you've got to have contact with estate agents the physical contact that you can't really avoid and that's just that's just not happening at the moment so but everything pretty much all businesses have ground to a halt and the government is spending astronomical amounts of money um to get everyone back in their feet so i mentioned earlier the the 80 percent kind of wage recovery um, there's going to be interest-free loans to small businesses, uh, which will be in the hundreds of billions. So, right. in terms of recovery, I think we're looking at a decade plus, probably, to get back to sort of somewhere where we were before yeah. in terms of everything. It's gonna be it's gonna be a slow grind. I've certainly never, never experienced something like this. Um, I think 2008 was the last comparable event. Yeah. Albeit quite different, but that's the that's the kind of level we're talking about. This is some serious shit.
0: Yeah. Well, my mate's an estate agent and he's got a backlog of things that he just can't do at the moment. Mm. And I think even when he is able to do them, it's going to be very slow going. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever taken a particularly long holiday and gone straight back into work. Uh, you just feel groggy. You just, you're not as good as you were it takes some time to get back into it. Yeah. I think the whole country is going to kind of be like that. You know, there's going to be where people are able to pay and go out on the lash and things, go to restaurants and start, you know, using those services they weren't using before. I think they're going to find that those services are massively stretched as well. Yeah. Um, if only for like teething problems of people getting into the swing of things again, but also because there's going to be increased demand all at once. Uh, You know, fucking out when the tip's open again. (laughs) They're going to have at least 10 bags of rubbish from me in the garden.
1: There's a very real risk that because the government, as I said, is going to have to spend all this money and they're not really going to be getting much tax because (laughs) it's only really the people that are still working, right, that they're able to tax at this point because they're kind of paying everyone else's income. Mm. So we're going to be in a massive deficit. We're going to struggle to get out of interest rates are almost zero and people still don't want to spend what a few places started doing in Mm. europe i started going to negative interest rates which means that effectively you you borrow uh, more than you pay back and if you're saving money you don't get paid interest on it you get charged for holding it at the bank Mm. which is going to be really really weird because i think savings rates have been going down for years but people are kind of don't seem to be too bothered about it. But I think if you a bank started charging you for keeping your money in there, you'd probably think twice about where you're putting your cash. I think that's going to be a massive shake-up and it's never happened before in the UK. And it wasn't looking likely until a month or two ago. But all the signs are now pointing to that as a very real possibility. It's going to be some really interesting, morbidly interesting times in the economy coming up. Mm. Food for thought.
0: So I'm just eating a mint
1: i'm quite surprised this hasn't happened sooner to be honest i was thinking about this if you look back to where this kind of started in all the the, the wet meat markets like that's not a new phenomenon that's been going on for quite some time Pe- you know there's like 7 billion people on the planet there's going to be a few who are into eating some weird shit and doing some weird shit and like it was a, re- it was a really chance thing that started this virus but the fact this is the first time we've had something of the scale. I think it's almost, that's kind of weird that this hasn't happened sooner. I, I think it's
0: very strange how we aren't, well, the only person that's talking about it is fucking Trump and he's talking about it in, com- China. in completely the wrong way <laughs> uh, with absolute no nuance or sensitivity. <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting that we're not really talking about these um, these meat markets and things.
1: No, and I hope it's because we've got bigger problems to face imminently. But I would, I would hope that when this is maybe not over but dying down, we start to really look at like how could we have prevented this? How did it start? Yeah, it, well, it's a
0: systemic problem among certain farmers. Basically, a lot of farms were faced with bad economy, and one of the things they did to supplement the, the economy was to create myths around kind of herbal medicines and. Uh, making certain foods, delicacies and things, pretending that, you know, eating a fucking pangolin's ass would give you a big cock or something.
1: So That's the quote of the podcast right there. Man.
0: You know, or like, tiger's tongue gives you big muscles or cures cancer. And there's an industry surrounding this, which a lot of farmers were actually forced into, it's kind of like this weird you know, having to diversify or starve situation. And you know, um, yeah, a lot of people will, will pay for for those kinds of things. Um, yeah, this this one came from a bat, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I think a bat or a pangolin
0: or... It was somebody who was playing Jenga with a bat, a pangolin and a moose or something.
1: <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of a joke.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever saw the dog festival things they had in China.
1: Oh yeah, so they, were, they were like
0: skinning the. Oh, it was just horrible. Luckily, there was a crackdown on on that kind yeah. of thing. But I think it's just a systemically persistent problem in certain regions. And I think, from an animal rights perspective, at the very least, we need to start
1: really opening up certain. Conversations yeah, I mean, I, I guess again, it's a question of where you draw the line between imp- imp- like impinging on a cultural tradition and just saying, well, actually, that's insane. And I think, for me personally, it's well above that line. It's
0: well, really- yeah, I mean, the, regardless of what you think of culture, the dog does not have that culture. The dog is separate from cultural traditions. That, there's, a, there's a line underneath morality which deals with culture, yeah. it, which is ethics, <laughs> which, which is underneath. It's uh, the spine of morality. And the, that's the bit you share with the dog. You don't share the culture with the dog because the dog can't understand culture. So you don't. fuck like, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not particularly difficult. You don't skin another animal when it's alive.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's a first principle before you get into d- discussion of what is morally acceptable within a certain society or just cultural norms and things like that.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it.
0: It's like FGM or something. Mm. It's like, no, that's, there's an ethical thing first before, you know, we would, we would happily do it with our own society. We could talk about, um, you know, we don't have to go completely relativistic. Obviously we should be sensitive to cultural issues, but we would happily say that our own society in the 16th century was particularly abhorrent.
2: Well, we don't even have to go that far. Yeah. Like fox hunting.
0: That's Mm. just fucking mental. And I don't think I think you do have to be more sensitive in the way you converse about it, and the the manner in which you're, you know, really you have to really think about well, what is it I'm trying to change here? And what, how am I most likely to do that? You can't go barging into a dialogue and expect it to really work at all. You're just going to end up probably looking like a prat to them. But yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't matter where FGM is being done the point is it's it's being done so you you open up the dialogue yeah one thing i've been thinking is how this is very much a class problem the way that it affects you know, things like social distancing masks you know, ppe are pretty much like a western middle class privilege mm-hmm. and a lot of luxury and travel and stuff has essentially caused a lot of the spread i think people are looking into um a lot of like sport and events that were going on just on the on the run-up and how they may have caused stuff and it's obviously these are people that can afford to to go and do that again not not necessarily pointing any fingers but it's the poorest people that usually suffer from these kinds of things you know and i and i don't think i don't think that's necessarily a very marxist thing to say either i think that's from within the narrative of capitalism from some sense it's just
1: he's saying suffer financially
0: uh, financially and um, medically poorer communities are more on top of each other Um, right yes particularly poorer countries as well um and they are not going to be able to afford to do things like social distancing or to afford things like masks or to go for a walk in a in a place that isn't fucking crowded with people um but yeah, I, I think at the very least it's exposed a lot of problems with the way things are currently run. And again, and it's not it's not a lot of people are being like, oh, capitalism's to blame. So well, no, you can still have fucking capitalism and a slightly fairer stratification of and measures in place to prevent something like this. It's obviously, a lot of people have been saying they were basically one paycheck away from being evicted.
1: Hmm. I d- yeah yeah. <laughs> It's really hard to say because individual circumstances. I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can really blame everything on, <laughs> blanketly blame everything on how the financial system's set up. Well, th-
0: yeah, one thing to keep in mind is that this is a, it's a natural disaster and it's not like an economic crash. It obviously will result in an economic crash, but it's not because a lot of people are saying, oh, the, t- the two thousand eight thing is is was a cyclical um, thing that people could have predicted. And that's to do with the very nature of capitalism. It's to do with its essence. But this is not. This is like a completely outside influence. So, you know, I think cut it some slack. Yeah, it's, it's you're,
1: you're absolutely right. It's a totally different. It, it's, it's sort of fair to draw some comparison to 2008. But the reasons for the for the economic impacts are completely different. So, yeah, and yeah. as I said earlier, this is like we, we I don't think we've really ever seen Certainly not outside of wartime. This kind of everything just stops within a couple of weeks. We, we're just not prepared. Obviously, we're just not prepared. I just look around, like we're not prepared for this sort of thing to happen.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting the things it's revealed about not just the, the way people are thinking and and living, but also the economy itself. You know, um, the fact that people can work from home, the fact that yeah, uh, automation. I, I mean. We ended homelessness in a lot of major cities overnight because apparently the need was great enough. But it wasn't before. What's that? (laughs) Well, homelessness is now not really a thing.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So that could be done, apparently. It's like, why didn't you do that before? Oh, I didn't have enough money. What do you do now? (laughs) Obviously, it's not going to be without massive ramifications. But um, I don't know. It's just been interesting seeing things like that Happen, and it's 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 exposed some of the faults that we have with things like relative poverty. But I think it's also sort of shown to some degree a lot of good infrastructure that's been in place to help people. A lot of quick thinking, at the very least, there are lots of things we can learn from.
1: Yeah, and I hope we do. Yeah.
0: Anybody got anything else to say, or is that a good note to end it on? It's positive. It's
1: better than like, doom yeah, and gloom. It's, it's positive. It's about one of the only positive yeah. things we've had to say. So it's probably a really good shout.
0: Well, if you can, do good things in your own house. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) (laughs) Churchill. I just, I just, I just (laughs) last, just last words. Yeah, don't slob around, but don't feel guilty. Find some, find some middle ground, and maybe get a few things done. But try and enjoy something, even if it's just this podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, you two. Right. Just having a depressing really, isn't it? Well.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not great. <laughs> China